everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 173. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Tom Hanks and that dog from Turner and Hooch of LA. Hooch! Jesse and Alex. Hooch! <laughs> what? What? Isn't, isn't the dog called Hooch? Yes. Yeah, the dog from Turner and Hooch. Hooch. Yeah, and he's, and and he's saying that one of us is Turner, one of us is Hooch. Based on names alone, I don't think I could be a Hooch. <laughs> Why not? I think Alex is the hooch. What's wrong with you being hooch? There's no I think you're more of a hooch. You a hoochie? Could, could I pull you're off a hooch? Mama? No. You could pull off hooch. How does he get hooch? He ends up with the hooch? I don't even think I could pull off Turner. <laughs> uh, yeah. Isn't he a cop? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about this. What's the one with the I monkey? I don't know which. I- Mathis, which one of us is the fucking dog? <laughs> I've never seen the movie, so what? I don't know. Yeah, that's fine. Yours is good. As, uh, your, your I'm going to go Jesse anyway. then. Jesse's the dog. I'm Damn. the dog? Damn. You're hooch. You're hooch, dude. I'm no hooch. <laughs> I'm no hooch. <laughs> I'm no hooch. I'm no hooch. I can't live. Two what do you mean the one with Hooche? the monkey? Two There's Hooche. one with the monkey. Is that BJ and the, ba- BJ and the bear? Is that that one? BJ and the bear. Oh, we brought, didn't we bring that up in our uh, Ed Boon series? Like the, the monkey uh, shit. Also, Turner and Hooch is like young, attractive Tom Hanks and the ugliest dog I've ever seen. <laughs> the ugliest, saddest that's dog. Literally, that's literally the movie. That's the movie. You just pitched the movie just now. Handsome, young Tom Hanks. Yeah. And the ugliest dog you've ever seen. Fresh off of Mazes and Monsters. They also remade the movie, which is just the worst thing I've ever seen. No, isn't it? Wasn't that's it a right. show? Yes, they yeah, remade the, it with that guy from... Uh, Drake and Josh or whatever that show. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. The the one that wasn't a criminal. Drake and Josh. What? It, what? Yeah. Turner and Hooch? Really? They yeah, remade the, the, it? The Turner and Hooch reboot, baby. The reboot. Get out of the here. Re-booch. The reboot. The <laughs> reboot. Disney's <laughs> Turner that. and Hooch. Uh, Ch- being a child star does it to you, man. Yeah. That's called druggies. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Or, you know, I do lots of it. I'm a, I am a drug omancer. Oh, actually, that's probably not true. I'm looking at it now. His normal photos look great, but the photo, the stock photo of him they used for the new Turner and Hooch movie, he just looks sad. I think that makes him look, yeah. He's just like, yeah. it's for the paycheck. But his normal photos, I'm looking at him, he seems like a normal looking dude. Although, that could be editing. But you'd imagine they'd edit the posters, whatever. Why are we talking about he's, this? He's married what with is going kid, on? I know that. Hey, you know what we should talk about instead? Patreon.com slash Chilumanipod. There you go. There you go. Save yeah, us. Yeah, you know what? Let me tell you something about Patreon.com slash Chilumanipod. It is a fine, fine, it's a fine place to go. Thank you for that. For? For all kinds of stuff. Like what? If you want to go there, listen, I mean, if you're, if you're begging me to tell him, I guess I must. I'm you know so I mean? begging you. I tried to, bro- I tried to reel, reel it in, but you know what? No, Here, I'll tell I'm you begging. What. Uh, please. Okay, you know what? <laughs> Minisodes. You get ad-free episodes. You get art. You get pre-sale. What, what kind of place isn't it? And, and you know what else? Rotten Popcorn just came out, and it's our new show all about movies where we watch really strange movies. I'm going to say something, though. Real talk. The movie that we watched recently... Uh, was called Running with the Devil. It's on Netflix. That shit was nuts. Yeah. Fucking insane Loved movie. Loved every Maybe. minute of it. God, man, that had me on the edge of my seat from yeah. start to finish. And the way that documentary ends is unfair. <laughs> like, <laughs> I won't say anything. You it's go, go watch it. It's the newest Rotten Popcorn up on Patreon. Yeah. But that movie ends 
And I I think I screamed. Like, that was insane. That whole yeah. fucking thing was nuts. If you don't sign up for the Patreon, you can get that episode of Rotten Popcorn sometime in the very distant future. About six months. Yeah, about but six hey, months. But hey, another one now. just came out if you are not on Patreon, and it's the one we watched the original Zach Baggins masterpiece. Yep. <laughs> My yeah. goodness. That's for everyone. That's already, yeah. you already have that. You're welcome. That's out right now. Thanks to patreon.com slash Chiluminati Pod. That was another good one, though. That documentary was another good choice. The Ghost Hunters one. No, <laughs> the I, Ghost Adventures, just, rather. It riled me just the right amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. We're, they also need to go one place else, Alex. Oh, yeah? Is that right? Is it Los Angeles, California? Ooh. To see us in real life and go buy your six for a dollar or whatever it is? Glow-in-the-dark vampire fangs at Target so you can put them in for Alex's big smile. One minute All six fangs? Like uh, uh, some sort of shark? Put them in your mouth. Put them in your eyeballs like that dude from the Sandman. Put them in your ears. You know? Oh, you Get have two all. little hands? Hand like I want to take a picture of the whole crowd with them smiling teeth because now this stupid random thing you said off like the top of your head in one Whose episode. Fault <laughs> Whose fault is it really? Nobody yours. knows. It's Mine. your fault. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe. I'm going to have to, before the show starts, I'm going to have to check and make sure everyone has their teeth in. So I will be going to bring extra teeth just uh, to be at safe. At the door kisses to make sure everyone's teeth are in. <laughs> Open mouth kisses, though, because you have to see. Well, I got to put my tongue in there to make sure the teeth. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, that right, checks right. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alex was like, no. Let's just debrand this to the big smile. I don't want this to be, I don't want this to have my name on it. Alex's big smile. <laughs> let's just, hashtag let's just tested by hashtag. Jesse. Let me test it with my tongue. That's this, all is I'm called, <laughs> this is called uh, Chiluminati Presents uh, The Big Smile. No, Alex's Big <laughs> Smile. Yeah. This is yeah. Alex Fasciani Presents The Alex <laughs> Big Smile at The Alex Show Live. That's Alex. A little, I, I, that's a little confusing, I think, for the people. No, no not confusing all right. at all. All right. Uh, well, come to that. ChiluminatiPod.com. Buy your tickets now. They're great. Like, just like uh, Frosted Flakes. I do like Frosted Flakes. Yeah. They're weird. What's your favorite cereal? What's my Don't favorite cereal? Don't worry about cereal? health. Favorite <laughs> cereal. Don't worry about health. My favorite, my favorite cereal? Yeah. Killers. <gasps> oh! Boys, after what was actually a, a bit of a bigger break than I expected uh, from true crime, looking at aliens, cryptids, feet. historical mysteries, yeah, all kinds of good stuff. Weed? Huge, is that what you said? Huge feet. Feet, yeah, big feet. I think you said weed, and I was like, "What are you weed? weed? When we're examining weed, dude, I've been examining that. weed for the last fifteen years, bro." <laughs> but with all that said, it's finally time to return to true crime because twenty twenty two is the year of true crime. If you forgot, so with my continuing journey to broaden your knowledge of these things, even if it's unwillingly at this point, I want to continue hitting the what I would consider the the like classics of serial killer the thing that sits in pop culture the ones that sit in pop culture the most much like john wayne gacy uh today's topic focus is one that i'm absolutely certain the both of you and probably the majority if not every listener knows about and that's jeffrey dahmer i mean even if you hadn't heard of him before it's very likely that you have heard of him recently uh yeah because there's literally just like what last week the week before they launched the Dahmer Netflix show yeah yes it's yep, like a yep. huge thing everybody's talking about it i keep hearing people talk about it like in the wild like i'm standing there having coffee and two people are like oh my god have you watched dahmer 
like yeah apparently that's crazy. it's crazy like really really good i haven't watched it yet i plan on watching it between this episode and next episode because it really wasn't necessary for this episode um but it, it'll, i'm interested to see what they do with like how much fiction they throw in or how really close to the actual truth uh they, the whole show goes I'm, I'm excited to watch it yeah i haven't watched um, it yet but i'm interested to have this i've been purposely waiting because i know this is going to be more fact-based and then yes, i'm going to go watch that afterwards and see what the vibe is yeah yeah well i'm sure like you said the both of you kind of know the basic story Dahmer in his little apartment where he brutally killed and tortured 17 victims while dabbling in cannibalism it's kind of like the meat and potatoes of what people know about it but much like gacy there's like a, there's a whole lot more to the story and Dahmer in many ways stands apart from so many of the other serial killers that we've covered and will cover on the show. So if you got your, we should make these serial killer bingo cards. We really should make some. I feel like it would be a great idea. Um, you know, get those ready. Cause I'm curious how many of the, the boxes will actually check off with Dahmer. And as always is the case, the series isn't here to glorify or add to the myth of Dahmer and his horrible crimes. Instead, it's more of a deeper look into the actual story, see who he actually was, and lay bare the fact that this man, no matter how he may have seemed on the outside, is and was a terrible person who should have been arrested much sooner than he was. And in that, the, we get to examine once again the failure of the police due to whom the victims ended up being, also known as the lesser dead. But we talk again much more about that in the second and episode. And if you don't believe us, just wait to hear how many times me and Jesse go, man, during, during this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly that. I'm already feeling that. Are you kidding? When you, the minute you bring up the police, I had two thoughts. One, I was like, it's always the police who were like, I guess we'll let them go. But then I also had the thought that, is that because these cases are so rare that we focus on that part rather than maybe the other times where the police catch the guy before it becomes a serial killer? But no, because in, at least not in this story. No, sure, sure, the, sure. It's just one of those things I keep thinking. I'm like trying to yeah. like come up with a reasoning before I'm like, they did it again. They screwed up again. They're just terrible yeah, at off, it. Off the top of my head, I can think of three distinct instances they could have stopped him so much early on where they had enough evidence and reason to do so and then did not. Uh, but again, that's something we will be. And that's the point <laughs> of this. You know, to we're going to be looking. It. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be super fun. I can't wait. Um, it's, it's just the, uh, we'll be examining that police failure further. What makes Dahmer so fascinating as a serial killer is how many of us can kind of see ourselves in younger Dahmer. His social awkwardness, his very deep loneliness, the difference is that we don't all go off and become horrible fucking serial killers to cope with our own issues. It's also the reason I think and believe the Dahmer story is one that's so often told and retold over the decades. As Jesse just said, Netflix just released another Dahmer story onto, onto their service a week ago to join the dozens of others out there that have kind of come out over the, the decades. Even to this day, he's a fascinating person to kind of look at as a study as he bucks so many of the trends that serial killers tend to fall into. And in, in that, he kind of becomes easier to empathize with on a surface level, but that's not who he truly was. Deep down, like so many of the others, Dahmer was a monster not worthy of any sympathy whatsoever. He, much like many other serial killers, was just excellent at putting on an act. 
So with all of that said, a quick shout out to our primary source for this specific episode, the book called The Shrine of Jeffrey Dahmer, written by Brian Masters. This thing came out in 1993. It's a it's just a very good, like solid true crime read uh, of an examination of the crimes and his family and kind of where he came from. Um, and I, I wholly recommend uh, picking it up for yourself if you can get a copy of it. Uh, you can get a, a, a soft cover copy of it really cheap and easy. The hardcover copies are way more expensive and harder to find. But if you want to read, I, I definitely recommend it. Um, as is always the case with any of the serial killers we do, we're not going to start this story off with Dahmer himself, but with with his parents, as we typically have in the past. Married on August 22nd, 1959, Lionel Herbert Dahmer and Annette Joyce Flint had hoped for a new life together after a short period of dating. Both of them, however, as we'll find out, were far from a good match. Lionel was glued to his work as a chemist, paying little attention to his new wife and spending most of his time within the labs doing work. While Joyce, on all accounts, seemed to be a what you would consider either a textbook narcissist or a, a textbook, uh, it, someone whose textbook their insecurity rules their life. Her own father was a detached alcoholic, and Joyce would go on to say that even as a child, she feared complete abandonment. So in that, she was very demanding and needy of her husband's time, and Lionel was not really willing to bear that much free time in the first place, which of course would immediately lead to argument after argument and a tense marriage from the start. Shortly after being married, though, Joyce and Lionel would find themselves pregnant with their first child. The pregnancy would be very rough for Joyce, finding herself bedridden in, from February to March with nausea and was forced to quit her job as a consequence of how sick the pregnancy made her. As the pregnancy wore on, her muscles would contract and tighten, eventually tightening so bad and causing such severe pain that their doctor, Dr. Dean Spires, I love that name, decided to give her a muscle relaxing injection. Um, this is in 19, they were like 1959, 1960 at this point. So like, yeah, he basically had to give her a muscle relaxant injection and because her, all her muscles were just like completely contracted all the time. Joyce, yeah, it's really weird. I'd never, I've never heard of anything like that happening. If any of you listeners out there have known or family members or have experienced something like that, I'm curious how common it is like that through the pregnancy, your muscles just get tight it seems awful do they mention is like all of her her whole body they just said her muscles so they didn't really specify as to like what it was where on her body just that her muscles would tighten and cause pain i would imagine it was probably stomach muscles you know would be my guess so one time when i was in high school i was in a play and i don't know why this lady told me this maybe i've said this on the show before i can't remember but she was uh, like, the so far sounds unique. I've never, she <laughs> so was like sewing up my costume or something while I was wearing it. She was like making it fit my, like my like arms or something. Right. And she was like telling me about when she had her daughter and she was like, oh man, it was crazy. I was throwing up my own shit. I was squeezing my muscles so hard. <gasps> oh God. Why would she know you? This lady? Not, re not really. But I was like, whoa, that's really interesting. <laughs> like I did, like, I don't know. I don't know why that's like what she decided to tell me. <laughs> Jesus. But I was like, That's Whoa. a random thing to just share with a child. I never forgot that. I mean, I was like 17 or something when I heard that, but it just. Okay, fucking... yeah, you're old enough to hear it, I guess. Yeah, but it's it just, so I, weird. Yeah, like, so maybe those muscles can squeeze pretty hard. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly. Well, thank you for that, Alex. I feel further educated <laughs> in, in pregnancy. 
Um, so Joyce having a rather rough pregnancy was open to complaining quite a bit. She would bitch about how loud their neighbors were. Uh, they lived in an apartment complex. He would, she would say hearing people's pots and pans became intolerable to her. And she would berate Lionel so much so for all of this that he eventually just gave up and boxed up all their belongings and moved them in with his family member, Catherine Dahmer, with his wife, who was at that point now seven months pregnant with their first child. The so Dahmer just, family. The Dahmer family, yeah. It's kind of kind of weird to hear it in a context that it doesn't involve him. Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, seven months in, he just, with the pregnancy, he just gave up quit the apartment and moved in with his family just because she would not stop bitching every single day. But luckily for Joyce, on May 21st, 1960, her pregnancy would finally come to an end as Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer was born at the Evangelical Deaconess Hospital in Milwaukee. And for the first time in their marriage, well, already you're like, I see both of them took a big breath. And I'm like, thinking to myself, sigh. man, Jeffrey Dahmer was born, man. <laughs> Oh man, oh, Jeffrey man. Dahmer. Oh man. <laughs> that guy sucks, man. Oh, he does. Burr. I don't want him to be alive in this story. Oh. oh. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting because little Jeffrey Dahmer is very different from the Jeffrey Dahmer that kind of he turns into at age 14. Age little 14 Jeffrey Dahmer is, where... is the worst character on Muppet Babies. <laughs> you already Not a pitched, you already <laughs> pitched a show. Like you just say the words. <laughs> Little, little Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. And he's got the little. He's knocking on Netflix's Dahmer. door. I've got yeah. a great idea yeah. for a prequel sequel. He's got the little okay. Stewie Griffin, like, uh, like, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, little Jeffrey Dahmer. All right, all right, we'll work on Lil, that. We can tweak that for a little bit. Little Jeffrey, little Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer. I can't now. I have like the Muppet Babies theme song little in my head. Little Dahmer. Yeah, the whole, it's there. <laughs> oh God. Well, with Dahmer now born for the first time in their marriage. Having Jeffrey seemed to bring a bit of peace about the house and family, almost as if their issues with one another went on a pause. Joyce started to scrapbook, marking every little advancement her kid had, and Lionel seemed less attached to his work as they were more entranced by their new son. Imagine how fucked up your life is if Jeffrey Dahmer showing up calms you down. <laughs> it's like imagine giving him birth and he's just emotionless as he's born, not crying. He's just staring at the doctor dead in the eyes. But yeah, like uh, that first year genuinely seemingly seemed to be like a normal year of life for them. But eventually the magic of a new baby would wear off, kind of like honeymoon phase with a kid, I guess. Uh, slowly but surely, Lionel found himself at the labs more and more while the demanding schedule of being a mother took its toll on Joyce, driving her into nervous breakdowns and anxiety attacks. She was so fed up with the, the demanding schedule of being a mother and feeding her own kid that she bound her breasts and no longer allowed her infant child to feed from her, <laughs> which caused a huge argument between her and Lionel. Yeah, she just was like, no more, no more titties for you, Jeff. You're done. And he was not even a year old. Like he was still. Yeah, that's like if there was like three more rows of bingo that would, might be on the list. But I yeah, don't think it's... I, <laughs> I feel like this is one of those we just like <laughs> scratch the surface just a little bit because the idea that person would be like, Time to bind my boobs is like a <laughs> like that's a whole other thing, right? Like that isn't you just don't do that because like stop. I would rather you not milk of me anymore. That seems like a whole other thing. I wasn't aware is, of it as a thing if it was a thing before this. Well, now you know she did it, and that's where my my question between whether she's just simply insecure or she's insecure and a narcissist is is like where where kind of I struggle. We'll, you know, as an example. 
after they had an argument about her no longer allowing, you know, her son to feed from her, uh, Joyce, after the argument, simply walked out the front door and left. And she did not return until Lionel went out and found her laying in a nearby field of tall grass in her nightgown. So much, she, she was so defiant and apparently threw such a fit that her own doctor scolded her for her behavior. What? <laughs> like the, yeah, do, Dr. Dean Spires scolded her for being so uh, uh, impetulant, just like being a kid. And there's another example of this as well, where they had a huge argument at night, her and her husband. Um, this actually happened before Jeff was born, early in the marriage. And the argument, after the argument, she stormed off in her nightgown again at night with nothing on her feet, hands, and it was sleeting outside. And she walked to the nearby park and sat down on a bench while sleet came down from outside in the in the freezing cold until Lionel came and got her. That was the only way she would go. So she just sat outside and just bared terrible weather for the sake of proving a point, it seems like. Um, I don't know. But again, it, it, that's like narcissistic Very Brontian. behavior. Very Brontian. <laughs> Um, eventually, however, they would have to move out of their family member's home and back into a place of their own. And so they got another apartment back in Milwaukee. Lionel was now working toward his master's degree in analytical chemistry and, may, uh, and the move made sure he was closer to campus so he could continue his school. Also, he was working full time at the labs as well. So he was very unavailable. Uh, even if Joyce hated the idea, she had no choice but to move with him. Sick. And once moved in... <laughs> And once moved in, Joyce once again did the complain every day about the neighbors, the noise, the pots and pans, the footsteps, anything and everything that could be heard. She made sure to inform Lionel how much she it's hated it. like the House it. of Usher. <laughs> However, on the flip side, and this is where that narcissistic manipulation angle kind of comes in, Joyce was also keeping the apartment absolutely spotless and consistently sought reassurance from Lionel that she was doing a good job and that she was loved. So she, you know, she's like bitching at him about all these things, but at the same Phew. time being yeah. a housewife and trying to be great and all this other stuff, you know, and, and Jeff at this point is only about two years old, you know? So it's just like, it's a weird household. Jesse, you look like you're about to say nothing. Something. I would just like to preempt the internet by saying, uh, Mathis has used the word bitching as a term of complaining and not saying, in fact, yes, that the mother was a bitch. I bitch all the time. Like, I, I, I just just putting it out there. I don't want anyone to be like, what is Mathis implying about this woman? Just Lord, putting no. it out there. I just use bitching as an adjective to complain. The, the Internet. It's what I do I for a to, living. Oh, yeah. You gotta oh, make, now I'm like, I'm I've, used bitching it, as a, I've definitely used bitching in other ways before like that. I'm sure of it. Like, I, I, I don't know. This is the mean. first time I've heard this. I feel like you've got it in for her. I don't even know this woman yet. And it seems like no. you've got it Both in for her. Both the mother and the father are equally terrible people for totally different reasons. I promise. You didn't say the father was bitching Mathis. Oh, we're going to get to what the father is doing in a second. <laughs> <laughs> don't you worry. It's coming. It's coming. Nice. Um, <laughs> so yeah she went like out into the and again that just seems like a very insecure thing to do at the very least that that need that, that to see that she's wanted and desired and that he'll come chase after her no matter how bad the weather is she'll endure it if it means seeing that he'll physically come and get her and, and shows that he cares it's it's you know that it, it's just fascinating to look at it and you know all this while jeff being two he's he's soaking all he's this is all soaking into his brain one way or another, because they're constantly fighting at home, and it's not like a peaceful house at this point anymore. 
So uh, after they all moved out and they moved into their new area, again, it was a new apartment. She kept the house all all super clean and all that. Little Jeff, little Jeffrey, we'll call him little Jeffrey. Little Jeffrey? Was about, little Jeffrey was about two years old at this point and had already begun showing a big interest in animals. Little Jeffrey, big animals? Little Jeffrey, little Jeffrey and his big animals. Um, he had a pet turtle that he cared for greatly. That his mother said, quote, he handled with such love and care. And now at this point, they got him a pet dog to keep him company uh, while, you know, at the house, since he didn't really have much of us. They didn't really go out or anything like that. The small com- but the small comfort of the uh, of that the apartment had afforded the family would be yanked up again just two years later when Lionel finishes his degree and took a job at the Iowa State University. But this time it was no apartment they were actually going to move into their very first house in Ames. And eventually, Jeff, even in that house out in the, which was out near nature, had a little bit of woods near it. Um, being such a fan of animals, there's uh, pictures of him and his mother um, where he had befriended a wild squirrel that would come to his bedroom windowsill and he would feed it uh, food and stuff. And eventually he was able to pet it and uh, kind of like connected with this little wild squirrel that would come by every day to hang out with him for a little bit and get food. What? Kind of cute. Yeah. There's a picture and there's a picture of him and his mother feeding the squirrel out there. Why do I feel like like you're like Chekhov's gunning me for like horrific things that are about to happen? (laughs) What what horrible. Okay. So what gun did I put down? What horrible thing are you expecting now? Like a brutally mutilated squirrel? Yeah. Yes. All right. We'll see what happens. I can't spoil anything. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, but Jeff for the first time was surrounded by nature's and woods, and he quickly took to exploring the nearby area with his pet dog. Just under a year after moving, things would take a rough turn for Jeff, however. In 1963, Jeff began to complain of stomach pains beyond that of just like a normal stomach ache or gas. Eventually, four-year-old Jeff Dahmer had to be brought to the hospital to have a double hernia operation, leaving Whoa. him hospital-ridden for over a week. Yeah. He had to have a, a hernia, uh, he had like a massive hernia that was just causing extreme pain. When he woke up from the anesthetic and surgery, all he felt was a searing pain so bad between his legs that he asked his mother if uh, they had removed his genitals. <laughs> now, we don't, mother didn't say what she had answered to that. That's not, we don't know, only that that's what she Probably said. Probably no. <laughs> yeah, well, I imagine no is the answer, but all we know is he asked. And like it, it got it got a uh, it was that it was that painful for him. And, you know, it makes me feel horrible. Yeah, it's not pleasant. You know, um, the, there are people out there who do wonder if this surgery, this very traumatic experience triggered something in, in him where the surgery took place. The idea of like someone exploring his insides, hands, you know, inside wounds. And we're going to get to that aspect in a little bit. But uh, it's kind of it's it's one of the theories out there. It's not one I, I ascribe to personally, um, but. People see there's a lot of people who look at this instance and say, this is what turned him. I don't. Like he was traumatized by surgery. Yeah. Like this surgery fucked him up so bad that it put him on a path that would eventually lead to him being a serial killer. And I, I don't really. That seems a I little bit over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I agree with you. It's I agree. I agree. Um, I don't think that that's the case either. But, you know, just kind of putting that out there. Whatever the case, after the surgery, his parents noted that Jeff did become more insular, quiet and to himself. That's not to say he didn't have friends as a kid, though. He and a couple of his friends would actually often go exploring long tunnels in the area, like those ones that go like concrete tunnels that like sewerage tunnels type things. Sure. Um, Because they were he said he liked them because they were dark and spooky. 
And like any kid with the chance to do something bad with the potential to get away with it, he and his friends would grab bricks and huck them through the windows of abandoned houses with his friends. Not not people the houses that people lived in, abandoned homes. But eventually they got caught for that by the cops with uh, the cops making a visit to the parents' home and letting the parents know, which, of course, he got scolded for. Admittedly, that all sounds for. like normal young normal kid, kid hijinks. Yeah, I agree like, with you. Ill-advised, uh, but not right. Yeah, but I did dumb, dumb, stupid yeah. shit as a yeah. kid where Kids that was like, doing you know, dumb stuff all the time. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, but other than that, his beyond that, his fascination and love of animals and insects did continue to grow and flourish. In fact, he loved to spend his time on the outskirts of Ames, Iowa, where there was a place that did studies on barnyard animals. Later, Dahmer would learn that that place had something to do with radiation testing on the animals, but he never knew exactly what. Uh. But when he would go, his favorite thing to do was to simply stand on the outside and watch the animals for hours. His curiosity eventually would win out. And Dahmer attempted to enter one of the abandoned buildings on the testing facility property. There on the front steps as he approached lay a swath of dead mice and rats. But determined still, Dahmer approached and pushed past them, opening the front door. As he opened the front door and light poured in, mice and rats scattered across the floor, filling the floor with movement. Dahmer claims he immediately ran off and mice and rats would even spill out of the door down the stairs as he ran away. Um, so yeah, just an interesting, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, he loved to go just stare at animals. He notes one time he remembers one of the workers with a long rubber glove uh, shoving his hand into the rectum of a cow. And he was fascinated by what they were doing. Just pure interest uh, as he watched them. It's very strange. And keep in mind, He's like six, yeah, five. Like he's not like ten. He's seeing all this stuff, yeah, as a young, it's, young, uh, young it's kid. Up. It's weird. Yeah, and remember, like, why is he going out all by himself at five years, six years old? The 1960s were a very different time, and he was living out in more of the middle of nowhere. Not a lot of people around, and they kind of like know the area well. But back then, there was less concern that. He, kids were going to get snatched off the street by strangers, people that were way more trusting back then. Um, so, yeah, just an interesting note. And again, another little, little red flag of like, that's kind of weird, but maybe, you know, not, not necessarily something that indicates a horrible future for the kid. Uh, and at the age of five years old, Jeff, with another little red flag, ended up finding some bones of a long deceased animal under the house in a crawl space and became fascinated with them he played with them regularly and called them his fiddlesticks as he Jeez. continued to play with them he said he would begin wondering if the fiddlesticks inside other animals felt the same when they were on the outside what age what age is this he's five i mean i know it sounds cuckoo bananas crazy he's like i want to know if the fiddlesticks but <laughs> it could just be curiosity. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. None kids of love is... bugs and kids love like if they find bones, they're going to be like, oh, bones. There are bones in me. They're bones. Like, <laughs> this is kid yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. None of it. Is yeah. You have to try and look at this through the lens. Yeah. yeah. Try to look at this through the lens of what he doesn't what not what he becomes. Just like where he is in his present life. And it is, what he's, he's surrounded just doing by. kid things. It is yeah. interesting looking back. Right. Like it is interesting. Yeah. That that's a thing. Right. But. Mm -hmm. That's not us saying that, you know, it's obvious that you're going to be a serial killer if you're into gore. 
Yeah, like right. kids. Absolutely not. Kids love bugs, but I'm not terrified. Like a bug kid's gonna end up being the bug lord. <laughs> a bug kid. I bury you. I bury you in <laughs> bugs. I'm not like worried about that shit. So the bug kid versus air bug hypnosis. Kid, bug kids. <laughs> They're up there. Um, a bug kid. I get you. The bug kid. Yeah. We'll find you. Bug I mean, it's it, it's true though. I mean. There are goths out there all over the place. You know, they're not careless. They're just into that kind of more. I'm very much into morbid true crime stuff. Hello, I'm right here. I'm talking about it. Right. Uh, but at home, even though, so we found his fiddlesticks. He's five years old and the, his home life was continuing to deteriorate, particularly the relationship between between his parents. Joyce had become so depressed and so neurotic as his, as uh, the husband had described her that she was now drinking heavily to deal with her uh, depression and insecurity. And it's also important to note that her father was, like I said earlier, an alcoholic. Alcoholism tends to run in the family, tends to be a genetic thing. And Lionel continued to work and remain distant, dealing with the issues at home by simply not being home. In 1966, Joyce made an attempt on her life, overdosing on secondol, but it's still debated as to whether that was an intentional attempt on her life or simply be her being careless with what she was imbibing that particular day. Mm. So, you know, but uh, it could go either way. Still a very traumatic experience. Domestic violence even started to become part of the equation. When Joyce was screaming at Lionel and she, quote, needed to be calmed, uh, the father would begin to hit her. Though Dahmer would note, this is interesting to, to kind of look at, Dahmer noted that when his, his father hit his mother, it was never, quote, with brutality or malice. It was simply to calm her down. What the hell does that mean? What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. Like, I don't like not. I don't know how you hit somebody without brutality or malice. I know exactly what that means. Which, boy, that's a weird thing to say. Gaslighting the wife as he was hitting it's, her. It's, like, you know, those old movies where the woman's like, I'm losing my mind. And the guy's like, snap out of it. Yeah. I feel like it's that kind of thing. But I guess it's still a crazy thing to say. You shouldn't like slap your wife for any right. reason. You just shouldn't do that. But I think that's what he's trying to say. So that's, that's the justification. Husbands were hitting their wives unnecessarily a lot more often back then. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird line. And one I definitely noted as well. It's just like how like that's such a weird internalized but thing. It does but go to a, to a state of mind of mm -hmm. disconnection from things of that nature. So violence yeah. towards others. Well, I was, there's no emotion there. It was all just what yep. I was doing or what he was doing. So, right. yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, yeah, it, again, it's another little kind of just flagged plant. So as most people do when their marriage is falling apart, what do you think their cure all answer was boys? Beating the shit out of their kid. Another baby. Another baby. Bingo. I watch, I watch Jerry Springer. I know how it works. <laughs> Lionel finished his studies and got a job in Ohio, meaning the family was about to be uprooted once more. And uh, uh, his wife had become pregnant again. Six-year-old Jeff didn't seem to mind moving and uh, was more in love with the idea of having a baby brother. Even though he didn't know it was going to be a baby boy, he was very insistent on wanting a baby brother. And his mother noted that he would place his head up against her belly and say, quote, so he knows that he has an older brother, unquote. That's why he would put his face up against the that's belly. That's very sweet. Okay. Isn't that like, that's a very but adorable again, that's a kid thing. thing. Like kids is cute. Yeah, it's a kid thing. Like, okay. Yeah, like fine. Yeah, sure. And, and he was, uh, according to his mother, Jeffrey was so uh, obsessed with the idea of a name that he got to name his brother when he was born. 
And the name he gave his brother was Lowberry Shoot. Lowberry <laughs> Shoot. Yep. No, it's David Dahmer. David was the name that oh, Jeff, Jeff gave him. Jeff knew about so. alliteration. I love that. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like Stan Lee. At this point, the parents sort of stop paying attention to Jeff and instead start paying much more attention to their, his now little brother, Dave. And Jeff never complained about it. He very much always kept his emotions to himself. The family moved and life continued seemingly as normal as it could. But the little red flags continued to pop up. In one instance, Jeff was, Jeff was roughhousing with one of his friends before his friend invited Jeff to pretend strangle him, promising that he wouldn't tell on him. <laughs> yes, you heard that right. He was invited to, you know, they were ruffling, roughhousing around, be like, you can, you know, str pretend strangle me. Like, you know, I imagine very much like a wrestling thing. This is like cartoonish. Like, it's like the Tom Sawyer of murdering. <laughs> It is. It, I mean, like, I can imagine, like, when I was a kid, when we'd always used to, like, play stuff, I'd always want to be the guy who got killed because I loved the death moment where you got to be like, Ugh, uh, <laughs> yeah, right? and I just, like, play it be a goofball. So, like, I get, I get it, but I'm also, like, I never said strangle me. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that didn't come until you were, like, 18, 19. Right, right, right. And usually I'd have to really ask for it. You know what I mean? Like, squeeze yeah, yeah, harder, yeah. right? And it's like, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And, of course, Jeff went along with it, and he placed his hands on him. And as soon as he started strangling, he plays pretend strangling him, the kid broke away, ran off, and ratted him out on the teacher, which earned Dahmer 10 whacks on the ass with a paddle. Hey. Old school teaching. Now, here's, what's, here's an interesting question I want to pose for you how true is this story because we obviously learned this through jeffrey dahmer jo jeff had many interviews talked to a lot of people like this is his and i don't story, necessarily believe i don't necessarily not believe that he, he strangled a kid but i'm very curious if he was play strangling him or if like the kid didn't actually ask and jeff just kind of went for it while they were roughhousing and then said we were playing yeah exactly Did they already know that he had killed 17 people when he told when he told them this story uh yes 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 we're in we're in the post uh kill aspect for this story. so if he was already fucked maybe it, maybe it is true you know what i mean maybe uh what's interesting about Dahmer, and as we'll we'll talk about later is like when he talks about his crimes and stuff this is what makes him so tricky and i think a why a lot of people accidentally feel for him or empathize with him is because he always plays it like it wasn't. He didn't want to do it that way. He didn't want to do it. And while I think part of that is true, it wasn't necessarily that he didn't. He wanted the corpse. He just didn't want to go through the act of killing somebody to get it. It wasn't the killing that he enjoyed. It was having the product afterward that he liked. He and we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll more detail about that later. Um, so, yeah, the kid ran off, ratted him out to the teacher, and the teacher whacked him on the ass with a paddle. Uh, for Dahmer... This was a mark of losing trust, of being betrayed. And that con continued betrayal would, con would continue to happen and erode in those he liked. And for example, another example, his teacher at the time that he was rather fond of. And to show his appreciation, he caught her a bunch of tadpoles from the local pond and brought them to class in a tank for her. She acted super grateful and displayed the tadpoles out in class for all the kids to see. But a couple of days later, the tadpoles were missing only for Dahmer to discover later that they were given to another kid in class because he was they were all hanging out in his garage, and that's where he saw the tank that he had given her with the tadpoles swimming around. Huh. And that 
like another that was like another real big betrayal moment for him. And he what he did, though, is another moment of what's going on here, because instead of being upset or crying or fighting, he simply grabbed motor oil and poured it into the tank of tadpoles, insisting, saying to him uh, to himself, essentially, if she doesn't want them, no one can he just have went them. full GTA now. He's just, yeah, he just grabbed a yeah. motor oil blah, 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 and now, you know, again, he's young playground. still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like seven or eight at this point. Now we move into about junior high and Jeff had nearly at this point completely turned inward. Even his friends would call him pretty intelligent, awkward and kept to himself. He seemed to show no excitement or motivation for anything to the point where his father began to worry asking or forcing him into sports that he was never good at and other other hobbies that he never took to. But he kept he continued to stay, like I said, a relatively calm and inward person. Very few people had become close enough friends with Dahmer at this point that he would let them into his private life. But one boy named David eventually became trusted enough by Jeff for him to be introduced to his favorite game that Jeff invented himself and this another I, David, not his brother, David, a friend, David, <laughs> a from school, David. a second David. Exactly. David, not I find. Yeah, not David Dahmer. And I <laughs> also find this aspect fascinating because it's not like we're not about to go into like his favorite game was choke me, daddy. It was something right. way weirder. Um, the game that he created that he introduced to David was called Infinity Land. And the rules were fucking bizarre. Sick. The the game involved stickmen and spirals. The stickmen, quote, the stickmen were spindly figures who would be annihilated if they came too close to one another as each boy manipulated his little army. The spirals were tightly drawn, intensely imagined symbols of descent whose ultimate destination was basically a giant black hole. What the Jeffrey fuck? was nine when he made this game up. And he would play it by himself always. David was the one and only person who got to see that game and got played with it once. And he did not take to it. And Jeffrey quickly ended the game. Um, yeah, it's a, a weird game of men made out of sticks that if they got too close and they touched each other, poof, they get sucked into the spiral and get sent into infinity land. Essentially, I don't understand Whoa. the game. It doesn't really make any sense even being explained like this. Um, it's a I don't even know how to look at this in terms of like, what could it mean? Could it just be another kid thing? Yeah, I, I would say it could be if it wasn't stacked up at this point with all kinds of weird little things that alone could be maybe a weird kid imagination. I mean, here's thing. the thing. The real thing is I've made up dumb, crazy shit like this, too. Sure. Yeah, we've all done really weird yeah. shit. Like, I, yeah. I don't And know. there's other serial killers who have done really weird shit that we'll talk about, too. One in the future is he had like a whole imaginative uh, like he had a whole clan of mice that he ruled over. Very weird shit. What do you mean ruled um, over? Like they accepted him as their ruler? Thank he you. would. He named thank them. You, he you. like they had. A, they were like his kingdom. He said he would speak to them and they understood. No, like that kind of stuff. He would speak <laughs> like Ant Man and the ants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Ant Man exactly. Um, but you know, again, Jeffrey's nine at this point. He makes up Infinity Land. This is something he's playing quite often. Meanwhile, the home was in further turmoil. Joyce had further descended and she was on and off medication that made her nearly comatose. She had a fragile temper and anything could set her off. David and Jeff had to keep to themselves, not getting in their mother's way or placing their life worries in front of her for fear of setting her off. Anything for just a little piece in the house. But that also meant 
keeping all their issues to themselves as to keep things calm. But as mental health tends to do, it all came tumbling down regardless of how hard they tried, and Joyce was sent into a mental institution for just over a month. Jesus. But her pill popping even after that never really slowed down. So we are kind of seeing the, the disintegration of his family at this point. Jeff, as always, because of it, blamed himself. He says there'd not been a time in his life that he can remember where his mother wasn't depressed and he blames himself coming into existence for, su for such. But his brother noted that Jeff often didn't open up about his feelings. Instead, what Jeffrey would do would be keep to himself and every once in a while wander off into the nearby woods where they could occasionally hear him screaming at the top of his lungs, slamming branches of trees into other trees and seemingly destroying things. Healthy, right? Now we're starting to get there. Now we're starting to get to the, I'm like, oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, things are internalizing very, very, Even very. Still, a lot of this stuff, like if we did not know, if like the jig was not up on this dude ending up being a serial killer. Yep. This, this just sounds like maybe like the dude from Toy Story. Someone's going, I mean, it's a traumatic, you know, right. life someone experience. Going I can through understand. Some stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, I get that. It, 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 but, you know, again, kind of put up with everything else. It's kind of nuts. Um, all the while, uh, as, as the years wore on, um, we see in Dahmer a certain change in fascination. At one point during dinner, he asks his father, as they had chickens that they were eating uh, that night, what would happen if they took the chickens out of the body, uh, the chicken bones out of the body and plunged them in bleach? And just excited that his, fa that his son was interested in something. Who used the word plunge? Him? Uh, oh, I use that. <laughs> father, may we plunge the bones into the bleach? What would happen if they put him, the bones in bleach? Uh, and his father, already desperate for his son to have an interest in something, now had an interest in something that was what he did. Keep in mind, his father was a chemist. So this didn't raise any red flags for Lionel and excitedly explained to Jeffrey what would happen. And the collection of bones slowly became something Jeffrey enjoyed. Slowly, he would take roadkill off of the road, take it home, put it on the outside, and let nature take its course until the bones themselves were exposed. Then, taking those bones, bringing them home, bleaching and cleaning them, intending to rebuild the animal at some point. But it's important to note that while that was always the intention with everything he took, he never did it. He never took them and put them back together. He just kind of had a collection of animal bones. He liked the breaking down more than he liked yeah it was more it. like yeah he liked having them in, in that um it's it's again it kind of it started with birds and small animals and eventually worked their way up to dead dogs on the side of the road at one point he took the home the body of what he believed to be a saint bernard corpse put what? it in the backyard and let the body completely decompose at one point even taking the skull polishing it off and sticking it on a branch outside and what? marking like a weird territory in a weird ritual. In another point, he took another roadkill dog, but in a weird change in behavior, did not let the, the wilderness take its course first, but instead let curiosity take control, slitting open the stomach, exploring the innards of the animal that had already been dead on the side of the road, and eventually splaying the animal up in a tree with the uh, intestines pulled out and wrapped around the tree and the dog in some weird display 
only to be discovered later by younger kids who were walking in the woods and found that and the skull. It was around the area where the skull was put up on a pike. Now we're getting into the area where he's taking a turn. Yeah. Like he just found it. Yeah. He would go looking for roadkill. He would go looking for roadkill. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's, that was like one of his favorite hobbies uh, to do was to just go out and find roadkill and bring it home and do stuff with it. Cause his, Again, with Dahmer, especially as we see him age, his fascination becomes less the animal and more the workings, the inner workings of them. What makes them up? Like what is on the inside? Morbid curiosity that I think, again, any normal teenager kid would have. I mean, you do dissections in class. I mean, he got to dissect a baby pig in class and says how much he fucking loved doing it. Um, But like that, it just when you it just you cross that line when you decorate a tree with the intestines of a dog and leave it hung up in a weird way the decorating i'm like that's that's a sign but my (laughs) my question for people who live in rural areas is how odd is it and you know find it find us on r slash chiluminati pod let us know how odd is it to go looking for roadkill how weird of an activity i never wanted to go looking for roadkill i've never felt that urge but i also I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Looking Were you ever like kill. on a walk though, and like saw like a mostly decomposed bird or something, and like poked it with a stick and been like, "That's cool." Yeah, but I've like never been. In, I've never been in an environment where I'm like, if I walk here long enough, I'll find a dead dog. Like I've never, yeah, like I've never yeah, been in yeah. that type of situation. So I'm interested to know. I I will say, and I don't know if this makes me uh, someone who could very easily snap and just kill everyone. But when I was young, when we would like uh, in school dissect a frog. I'd always feel terrible about it. Like, I'd be like, uh, super, until I cut that thing open and was like, oh, what's this inside here? And what's this do? Once I was in it, I was like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to look at this. I feel and the I same don't think way. that makes you a serial killer. I don't think that makes you even close to one. Well, you could right, no, have turned out to be a that, like, Oh, I don't want to do this. But once I'm in, do you think, yeah, like, oh, once, and once I've already serial killed one person, I might as well just keep it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I get I just it. Think yeah, about it. I just think about eating it, whatever it is. I mean, not like dead bodies on the side of the road, but you know. Yeah, you don't see roadkill and go. I wonder how that would be on my grill. Yeah, but when I'm like dissecting a frog, many yeah. people do. There's a there's a large contingent of people in this country that, especially in the countryside, if something just got hit, if you like hit something on the side of the road and it's dead, they'll you can take it with you. That's yeah, what I'm no, saying. That's, also- that's exactly what I'm. That's exactly kind of what I'm hinting at. I'm I'm interested to know how is it truly strange to go looking for roadkill. Sure. Or is that I, something that a normal person would do? Yeah, actively go looking. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious too. Let us know in the in the subreddit. It's a it's a it's a very weird kind of to me a very weird hobby. If that's a hobby for people, but who knows? Maybe it's just like it's just a thing that people do. For for Jeffrey at this point too, it's important to note as we get to about 14 years old, Dahmer has mostly shut away his emotions. He hasn't really been able to feel them. He he says he could not remember the last time he cried. And he just dealt with things by internalizing, compartmentalizing, and detaching. And that is all he knew how to do, to the point where, right around the age of 14, Dahmer didn't really know who he was anymore, but he did know that he had a fascination with corpses and a rising urge and interest in men of the, uh, in, in people of the same sex, in men. All of these led to frustrating moments, and around the age of 14, where he could no longer handle it, Dahmer finally picked up the bottle and began to drink. This is where I see the turning point for Dahmer. As Dahmer begins to drink, you see him fully repress who he is. Alcoholism runs in his family. You're like, this is 
you know, not super surprising. Um, he would bring alcohol to school. He would drink at school and, and whatnot. And Dahmer, not knowing who he is or perhaps even hating who he is, for the first time invents a new personality. This isn't who he was, but what he wanted people to see him as. Sure. He became a class clown. Outward, ex, uh, like, uh, not, no longer uh, focusing inward, but focusing outward, making people laugh, having running gags. And Dahmer's schoolmates, when interviewed and asked, remember him as such. A guy who would make jokes, who would disrupt the class for a fun fart noise or say something to make people laugh. Hell yeah. But they, what they didn't know is he was doing it all while he was completely inebriated. And the drinking only got worse and worse for him as life continued. His parents' marriage deteriorated to the point of eventually needing a divorce. His father hadn't even been sleeping in the same room with his mother for a couple of years at that point, and even would go out and stay in a hotel every so often. And when it eventually came to a head around the age of 15 or 16, and the divorce uh, conversation finally happened, Dahmer wasn't ever brought up in the conversation once. But the argument as to who was going to take his little brother was. And that also sat very heavily mm. with Jeffrey. I apologize. He would have been 17 at that point, going on 18 soon. Well, it's possible that that's because he was 17, right? It, agreed. And that's that's exactly the case. But Dahmer, it's clear at this point, Dahmer takes things extremely personally. Like, again, the tadpole situation or, or any like, you know, where he was kind of like, right. quote unquote, betrayed. And so, like, yeah, I, I agree, because it it's like he's 17, almost 18, didn't matter. Like, he was an adult. The legality of where he stayed didn't matter. But the kid, for, for David, who was, at that point, he was like 12 or 13, you kind of have to have that discussion, you know? Um, but it didn't matter. It sat with him, and it ate away at him, making him feel like he was worthless. And at this point, he had his own store of porn pornographic magazines, all, uh, all of the magazines that he owned were uh, gay magazines, but he wasn't ever focused on the lower half of a man or his face. Dahmer's specific obsession with men was their torsos, specifically the abs and the chest. He didn't care when he fantasized and masturbated about the loving or caring aspect. He always fantasized about just having the abs there, to touch them, to caress them, to rub up against them. Abs? He was a man who loved a nice torso. Abs. That's Say, not what abs. that normally means, though. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. when you're an ass man, you're not like, the Only ass, ass please, no face. Not the rest <laughs> of the body, just the ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, usually you want, you know, you enjoy the it's rest of it. a little strange, it. yeah. Um, it's important to note as well that, according to Dahmer, at this point, he had actually experimented with a boy once in his life. He was 10 years old, and the child that he was messing around with was seven. And they had snuck off three or four times. It's also, and it's not what it, experimenting. Yeah, that's, means, that's, that's yeah, yeah. I'm giving you his words, <laughs> not mine. Um, but yeah, he. So yeah, they they would go off in the woods into their little tree houses and stuff, and they would basically like just muck, fuck around with each other at young young age. And then they stopped. He said because they both were afraid they were going to get caught. Um. So he already knew even at a young age, kind of where his uh, sexuality was. But again, this is the 60s going into the 70s, and the internal hatred over his own desire of men was also something that was now very readily and openly eating away at him. I feel like every time we talk about a serial killer, mm -hmm. it always comes down to repressed sexual nature of some sort. 
So, so uh, yeah, there's always yeah, violence male and serial killers very, very specific, yeah. and it's and it's always like their upbringing was one where they weren't allowed to be themselves, so yeah. they murdered people. Like every time, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, again, we're playing serial killer bingo. We don't have the head trauma or any like the like molestation by the parents and but stuff. But you did we still have posit a lot. A theory about surgery, which is some type of body trauma. Yeah, it is trauma. So, like, yeah. And he was four. That was like very young and kind of like. But four? I, yeah, no, I know. It's, I it's weird. Know. It's weird. But the most important aspect of this time period between 14 and 18 is when the fantasies began. The ab fantasies? They started as ab fantasies. But eventually he realized he just wanted the person, their body, to be there forever. He didn't want the romantic connection. He didn't want the cuddling and aftercare. He just wanted uh -huh. their body and to be in total and utter control of it, no matter the cost. That's what turned him on. And of, initially, he attempted to sate those desires by jerking off. And those would sate those thoughts for a while. But eventually, those thoughts would return. And they only became, became stronger as he mentally gave in and fantasized about it over and over. The fantasies eventually brought him out to a nearby road where he would spend a lot of time just sitting and enjoying the weather, watching cars drive by. But the most important part is that there was a jogger that constantly went by the area that Dahmer regularly hung out. And the fantasies went from anonymous bodies to that of the jogger specifically. And that is what Dahmer thought about for days, weeks, and months. Until one day, he decided to give in to that urge, that fantasy. He made a decision to grab his baseball bat and wait where he always waited, where he saw the jogger every single time. It's not good. But as he arrived, he took his bat, put it by his side, and thought about it fantasized about it, coming up behind him, whacking him in the back of the head, and taking him somewhere secret where he can lay with the body, lay on top of the body, run his fingers and kiss the body, and then eventually, in this version of the fantasy, leave him alive, unconscious, and hopefully none the wiser as to what happened to him. Luckily for this particular jogger, however, on this day, he wasn't on his jog, and he never came by. Dahmer let go of the fantasy after that day and never made that attempt again, spooking himself almost that he let himself go that far. And what we're seeing is a very typical serial killer ramp up where a person who is capable of killing, who may even be having fantasies about it, don't necessarily actively go out of their way to hunt somebody down, but actively put them in a place where what they want to happen. But like, will happen. yes, he fucking did just hunt this dude down. But yeah, he, he did go out and like, wait, yeah. But I'm saying like, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, there's, there's a, there's a part of this story that I think is interesting in that you're saying this is the ramp up, right? But there's a lot of people out there who, for whatever reason, like go to commit a crime or go to mm -hmm. do a thing. And then just like this, the person they're going to hurt in some way doesn't show up. Yep. And they see that as a sign of like, boy, I lucked out. I shouldn't have, you know what? I was thinking about it. And that was just destiny pulling me away from being stupid yep and that happens like all the time for people and i'm curious why then this one's like you know what it spooked me 
but I'll get him next time. <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah, but he, like he, when he did leave, he was like, no, no more next time. He was like, I'm not going to do that. Obviously, that worked. And then he went on to live a normal yeah. life. Yeah. Episode yeah. over. <laughs> the it was end. done after that. He did tr try to let go of the fantasy for quite a while. Not going out hunting for the jogger. In fact, he never went to that spot ever again. But eventually the fantasies were pretty much his consistent thought. And instead of so thinking about this is about like it his once, chicken arc where he's yes, like, he's going, you know, oh. I could have done something else with my life, but my passion killing. Yeah. I mean, really? And you're going to see that again. Um, he, he went off from fantasizing about it once a day and kind of like getting himself off to anywhere between three and five times a day. It's Jeez. his consistent obsession Ooh. He had bones, you know, a ton of bones at this point, and uh, his his mind is on a one track thought where it was going to lead to something bad. And as his parents were finalizing the divorce, one night Joyce simply took David and left the home. Lionel was left a home with with uh, Dahmer, and the next day he had to go to work. So Jeffrey drove him to work, and Jeff would have the house to himself for an entire forty eight hours. With nothing but a half gallon of milk in the fridge and his own privacy, this is where he loses things completely. Jeff decided to take the car. He wanted to go for a drive. He didn't really know what he was going to do. And on that drive, Jeff came across something he hadn't come across before. A hitchhiker. Initially, he just drove right past the hitchhiker. He ignored them and went home and it was fun. Yeah, like tried to like honestly tried to leave the thoughts and leave behind the the urge, but he eventually caved in, slowed the car, turned around, and went back for the hitchhiker. This man's name was Stephen Hicks from Illinois. As he picked up Stephen Hicks, a Dahmer told him that he wasn't going anywhere in particular, but if he wanted a place to stay for the night, he had a house and he could get him some food and a little bit of weed and some booze. The hitchhiker, not seeing a reason not to do that, decided to say okay, and Dahmer brought him home. Dahmer initially went to go get what little weed he had left and brought it up to Steve. They smoked a bit, drank, and talked. Dahmer attempted to make a move on him, but it became very clear to Dahmer very quickly that Steve was heterosexual and had no interest. But that only infuriated Dahmer. He had him here. And he had, been fast, uh, he had been fantasizing about having a body like his to himself for so long. He wanted him to say yes, to be willing, but he wouldn't. In that frustration uh, and getting uncomfortable, Steve Hicks, after a few drinks, said he was going to hit the road and head out of here. Dahmer said, no problem. He'll be right back. He was just going to go get something. That's when Dahmer went downstairs and grabbed a barbell without the weights on each side. When he came back upstairs, Steve Hicks was sat in a chair back to him. Dahmer walked up, raised the barbell bar, and cracked him in the back of the head as hard as he could. <sighs> there he goes. Steve stood up, still awake and confused, and a small fight occurred. But Dahmer was big. He quickly pinned him down and hit him again in the head to knock him out. He laid bleeding on the floor and almost without thinking, in a pure rage, Dahmer took the bar, pressed it against that man's throat, and suffocated him to death. When he died, Dahmer simply put aside the barbell and immediately took the body to his room. There, he stripped the body, cuddled, kissed, 
and enjoyed what victory he had wrought for himself, enjoying the physical body more than anything else. A night of this went by before the next day he seemed to kind of come to his senses. He suddenly panicked, realized what he'd done, and knew he needed to hide his, hide his crime. So Dahmer went out and bought a brand new knife and a bunch of trash bags. Initially, while he went to go get that, he took the body and dragged it under the crawl space of the house. When he returned with the knife, Dahmer went under the crawl space along with him and slowly removed the body parts and then the head and triple bagged them all in garbage bags. After, night, after the sun went down, he took the trash bags to his car with the intent of driving them off and kind of just depositing them in random places, buried and thrown away so they'll never be found. Here's where the first frustrating moment of police action comes in. On his way, with the body not in the trunk, but in the back seat, Dahmer gets pulled over. Stop. Get the fuck out of here. For driving... To, for in the back seat? For driving slightly left of center. As he was pulled over, the police called for backup and a second car arrived. Another! Oh my god! And they asked Dahmer to come out and do the straight line test. Now remember, this is the era where there is no uh, alcohol breath, right. no breathalyzer test that didn't right. exist. Certainly, but you're telling me these cops didn't look in this man's car and be like, those are three trash bags in the back of your car. What is that? <laughs> well, they probably weren't uh, thinking you, about it. You know, you make a good point. You make a very good point. Uh, this is all happening at 3 a.m., by the way. So they asked Armour to come out and they have him do the walk a straight line test and so on. And he passes all of the tests. In the meanwhile, the second cop walk, walks over his car with a flashlight in hand and flashes the flashlight into the car, openly asking what smelled so bad in the vehicle. <laughs> I, Fuck, man. And Dahmer simply replied, it's garbage he's taking to the city dump. His parents were getting a divorce and he couldn't sleep and he was hoping that a drive at night would help clear his mind. The cop simply said, Rad, okay. dude. Cool. <laughs> and let him go. However, after the cops had left, Dahmer did not continue down the road. Instead, the cops, to get, I think, scared him a bit and he turned around and went back home with the body going back under the crawl space and burying it all in a shadow, shallow grave. Days would go by and he would stress him out that the body was under there, but in yet one last strange act from Dahmer with this body, at one point he decides to head back under the crawl space. He digs the body back up and he digs through the bag for specifically the head. He takes the head out of the bag, reburies the body and brings the head into his room. There, he places the head down and jerks off in front of it. He uses this head as an inspiration to take care of himself until the head became so rotted that he couldn't bear the stench any longer and got rid of the skull himself. And this is the beginning of the downfall of Jeffrey Dahmer, and we will continue next week with what happens next. Jesus. Like I said. Fucking a, hell, dude. A very bizarre like youth with little red flags that accumulated yeah. you know really were are worrying but really when he started drinking and he started pretending to be this like class clown and everybody loved him that's when like he kind of just buried his true self and him getting drunk would allow that true self essentially to come forward and he always did it when it was drunk that's something we're going to see next time is he always had to be drunk to do it first 
And he always had to be blackout drunk to do it. He truly had no interest in like the remembering of it. He remembers this one because he was drunk, but he wasn't blackout drunk. But that becomes a, a staple of his crimes is in order for him to basically be who he actually is. He has to booze it down because he's he can't deal with it himself. He's too scared of himself or maybe there's an aspect of like knowing what's right and wrong. I don't want to say guilt. I don't think it's guilt. I just think he knows he can get in trouble and maybe he can get caught. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's a reason I think Dahmer is one of those those figures or serial killers that really just kind of sticks around decade after decade. I feel weird even analyzing it at all. I can't like, it just, it's so strange. It's like such a part of the human psyche that I just can't connect with. Right, exactly. And compare his like childhood to something like Gacy's or uh granny you know nanny doss you know her horrible childhood his was relatively you know it was traumatic yeah but i mean his childhood sounded a lot similar to mine and i ended up fine you know i ended up i ended up as a serial right. killer like it just is what it is that you know everybody gets loads of people get shelled, uh dealt a shit hand as a kid and growing up isn't great but that's no excuse to be like and this is why i murdered 17 people right yeah, it, you know, and that's that's where the, his manipulative kind of personality, I think, comes through. Um, yeah, lucky for that jogger, man, that that jogger on that day was not there. <clears throat> very, very, very lucky. Anyway, God damn. we'll wrap it up here, boys. Thank you for this part one of what I believe will be a three part series on Dahmer. We will see. Uh, we'll be back next week with part two. We're going to go record a mini-sode for Patreon. Patreon.com slash IlluminatiPod. We love you. It's a great website. And we'll see you next time. It is a good website. Bye. 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 Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out here! So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky. 